We've all been there, justifying our creative job to mum and dad, explaining what our job is to granddad, brushing off jokes about freelancing from our mate who works in finance. But times are changing and the value of creativity is being recognised. The creative industries are the fastest growing part of the UK economy and the least likely jobs to be taken over by robots. I'm Kayleigh McLeod and this is Get A Proper Job, where I'll be talking to researchers and creatives about the issues that matter. It's kind of valuing something that you do have that other people don't have and that's why we need people from a whole range of backgrounds. For this episode of Get A Proper Job, we're looking at access to the creative industries with Faye Hanna, Norman Porter and Shan Harris. Hello and welcome. For this episode of Get a Proper Job, we're looking at access to the creative industries. This is a really big topic and so today we're going to focus on socio-economic barriers to entry and initiatives which look to widen access, particularly in film and TV in South Wales. I'm delighted to welcome three guests today who all have experience of the industry. Faye is an academic researcher doing her PhD on Creative Screen Industries in Wales, Policy, Workforce and Access at the University of South Wales. She's the director of the Creative Industries Consultancy, our collab, working across skills, policy and training in the screen sector, including for Film Cymru Wales's award-winning Foot in the Door programme. Foot in the Door is aimed at people not in employment, education or training who have existing transferable skills and want to develop a career in the film industry. Faye, if we could just start with a little bit of context from you as a researcher, what do we mean by access in the creative industries and what do we see when it comes to the screen sector in Wales? Thanks, Kayleigh. So firstly, when we're talking about access, it's become a real buzzword. And I'd kind of like to set the context and situate some of the key challenges relating to access within the findings of my own research at the University of South Wales in Cardiff. So as you said, my doctoral research focuses on the policy directives and how they interact with access to Wales screen industries. So there's a number of findings to my research, but predominantly seeks to answer two questions which I think are relevant to this discussion, which is, Who is responsible for screen industries' workforce access and development in Wales? And what extent can industry support development of a more equal workforce, which will probably be at the the source of some of our discussions? It's key to note that there's, there's, there's minimal research reporting or figures that relate to uh, analysis of socioeconomic diversity in Wales, uh, which is an interesting point specifically considering the emphasis that it's had from the Welsh Government in terms of being one of 11 priority sectors. This lack of focus would seem surprising, but according to the DCMS economic estimates, there are 53,000 jobs in the Welsh creative industries and 84,000 employed in the wider creative industries, uh, according to 2016 statistics. So considering talent and opportunity, there are a range of structural, political and social factors at play um, that promote this idea and some would argue this ingrained myth that individuals with talent and hard work will get their just desserts, irrespective of social background or origin. Or as Mark Banks, the academic, argues in his book Creative Justice, the reality is very different and any process that's defined as competitive naturally must mean there are winners and losers. So within my research, the idea of competition for those from lower socioeconomic backgrounds means 
them having to overcome these barriers to get into the creative industries. And I argue that this terminology can be problematic and suggest industry having quite a static position within that relationship um, in terms of not having a role to ensure that creative industries workers can access the industry. So why is this problematic? Well, jobs within the screen industries are often characterised by being short-term, long hours and accessible only through closed networks and informal recruitment practice. The other added challenge is that they are largely self-employed on short-term contracts. The factors make getting in and getting on a significant challenge for many in Wales to access and sustain a career. We also have high levels of post-industrial, rural and coastal poverty in Wales. So according to the State of the Nation report 2017, 23% of the population of Wales are living in poverty. The Panic 2018 report on sectoral inequalities states that only 12.4% of the film, TV and radio workforce are from working class origins, which was seen by many as a shocking statistic. So one of the main challenges relating to socioeconomic diversity, according to Dr Dave O'Brien, is that it's really challenging to measure what is socioeconomic diversity uh, and social class in itself is challenging to measure. However, there are a number of organisations who are starting to do this. So the British Film Institute, Arts Council of England and Film Cymru Wales are all looking to capture figures on socioeconomic diversity. And this is done uh, and has started to be done by reporting on individual education, occupation of parents, to develop an understanding of social class. The screen sector in Wales, the same as anywhere else, is is widely acknowledged to have a high proportion of freelancers, which I've discussed 40% in Wales, according to DCMS figures. So one of the bigger challenges that sits alongside practical workforce barriers for those who are socioeconomically disadvantaged is their acknowledgement of individual classed positions. So this leads to an overall kind of poverty of ambition that ranges from a creative career not even being considered as an option by some to the sense that people like us don't get opportunities like this. And that's very challenging when organisations, I think, are recruiting for what would be termed diversity initiatives because actually it's very problematic to reach those people. But there is also an argument that says actually is it more difficult for those people to reach us in the creative industries as well? To conclude, really, the areas of access, inclusion and diversity have found themselves at the centre of discussions and reports around the screen industries in the last few years. The Acting Up report outlined that the arts are suffering from a class-shaped hole. So Wales has a booming TV and film industry growing year on year. To sustain this economic success, there's evidently a requirement for more crew new stories and for Wales to develop indigenous talent that's very much representative of Wales to keep up with this demand. In her annual RTS lecture, Jane Tranter of Badwolf said recently that it's her view at the moment there's a glass ceiling on what Badwolf and the creative industries as a whole can achieve here in Wales. That ceiling exists because of uncertainty and a lack of clarity about the commitment to developing a skilled workforce. What I kind of would like to to finish on really importantly is the issue of valuing and developing a skilled workforce and addressing some of the challenges to socioeconomic barriers more widely. Those two things aren't distinct from each other. And I would argue benefit is being considered together when strategising to future-proof the creative industries in Wales. Great. Thanks for that, Faye. It was a really helpful overview that kind of sets the scene in South Wales for us. 
Our two guests joining Faye today are Norman Porter and Sean Harris. Norman is an art department assistant who was part of the Foot in the Door pilot back in 2017, which saw him working in the art department of the Netflix drama Apostle, building set and props, before going on to be part of the filming crew for the movie Denmark and Eternal Beauty. Last year he worked on Eros Lynn's Dream Horse and is currently working freelance with the bespoke props company Weld Creations, who are based in Cardiff. Sean is part of the commissioning team at BBC Wales, focusing on factual programming. She's involved right from the early stages of ideas being pitched and developed to the point at which programmes are delivered and broadcast. Prior to this role, Shan worked in factual TV development and TV production for several years and is a trained journalist working in online news and before that in newspaper journalism. So welcome, everybody. Hello. Hello. We've got a pretty full room here today and I'm delighted to be chatting to you all. Norman, first off, can you just tell us a little bit about your story? What was your break into the film industry in South Wales? Of course I can. Thanks for having us, Kayleigh. And I'll give you a bit of a fast-forward background story, and we'll take it from there, I guess. I was brought up in a working-class family in Pembroke Dock, near Tenby, southwest Wales. From there on, at, at 18, big jump there, I moved to Cardiff and studied graphic communication at university. Off the back of that, as many graduates do, I applied for many jobs, many graphics jobs, and I suffered an immediate barrier there. I'd like to say I was stuck in a vicious cycle and I didn't have experience so I couldn't get a job without the experience but I couldn't get the experience without any other experience and you know I'm sure you've seen or heard of this scenario a million and one times. Um, So from there on I applied for a marketing job and got one of those. Very excited after three days of hard work and training I found out it was actually a door-to-door sales charity job. Wonderful. Yes, it's it's not an ideal scenario, but I'm I am pretty positive, a, a stubborn person as well. So I thought I've I've invested three days, so I may as well prove I can do it. So after a week, I had the record for sales in a week. I had the record for sales in a month and sales in a year. Within six months, I was promoted three times and turned out to be the company's first ever events manager. From then on, I spent the next. Eight years working as a business development manager for many companies, and in all honesty, I spent the majority of my my days and time staring at a computer, looking at numbers, number crunching, phoning people up, all about money, 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 profits, 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 and for me, it just wasn't touching my creative itch, which which is something that's that's innate inside me and something that was that was hugely missing. From there, luckily, the company, it was making cuts and I was made redundant, which ironically put a huge smile on my face. It gave me a fresh start at 30. And I moved into the Welsh Valleys in between two mountains in a little place called Wattsville. Ironically, now it sounds like something out of a film, doesn't it, Wattsville? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That sounds like Whosville. What's, what film's that off, Whosville? Uh, the Grinch. Oh, there, there you go. I've got my very own Wattsville. What? <laughs> And from there, like I said, I, I embraced the fresh start. I started my own decorating company. I embraced working with my hands. I loved every second of my spare time. I was making sculptures. I was doing paintings. I did. I let out, let out all that fire and passion that I'd been holding in. So I started my own decorating company. So I had a little extra money. And I saw an advert for some supporting artist work. And that was actually for a TNT show called A Will at the Dragon Studios. Um, but I had six reoccurring roles in that, and that was that was my first real experience of a high high budget production. 
I spent three hours in hair and makeup and and went out into the parking lot. There was there was like wooden walls everywhere. I walked through and it was like stars in your eyes. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be a punk goth in Shakespearean London. And <laughs> that sounds great. It was. It was amazing. And that's that's something that that gave me more of a buzz, more encouragement to continue doing that. And so so that that's that's where I was. I, I knew I wanted to work with my hands. I knew I wanted to be part of this incredible industry, but I had no knowledge of what to do after that. And as Faye was saying earlier on, I, I think that's a barrier, especially with, well, with working class backgrounds. Like I, I had no contact. I didn't know anyone in the industry who's ever done that sort of work. And from what I found out since then, it's very difficult to get in if you don't know anyone in that position already. So it's, it's very unlike most workplaces in that respect for me. Um, so it was a huge barrier that I had. But my partner luckily showed me a leaflet of the first pilot foot in the door scheme. She said, have a look at this. Sounds right up your street. It was. I applied. And, and from there on in, it's, it's been an emotional roller coaster, and I've, I've loved every second. It does sound like a, a wild ride. So yeah. did the leaflet just come through your door? It was, and um, my partner, we were living in a charter household and charter working in, in conjunction with Foot in the Door. Oh. So she she got an email, I believe, or, or leaflet flyer, showed it to myself. And and yeah, I, I haven't looked back. That was 2017. Fantastic. It sounded like it reached the right person. Absolutely, in this case. <laughs> and Sean, you tell us a little bit about your journey into TV? Yeah, sure. I think um, it's that thing, isn't it? There, there really isn't a kind of obvious one clear path into these kind of jobs. Um, and similar, um, really, to you, Norman, I was kind of brought up up in the valleys, not, you know, a big city or London or somewhere where kind of, I guess, those jobs are a bit more visible or, you know, you know, my dad sold tools for a living. It just, you know, I, I don't think I knew anybody who worked in TV but strangely, from being very young, I suppose probably watching too much kids' TV and that kind of thing, I, I just had this thing and I would love to work in in TV one day or the media. I had absolutely no idea how you go about it, how people get jobs like that, what the jobs are, all that kind of thing. But it kind of was always always there. I think the only connection I ever had with the crew was when kind of the news came to our street for a news story one day, you know, that, that was about it. <laughs> Once leaving you, you really didn't know where on earth do you start to go get a telly job, right? And I, none of my relatives, nobody I know works in that field. So who who do you go to? And and it was as simple as I kind of wrote to every media outlet, emailed them that I that I could, got virtually nothing back. But a local newspaper said, well, look, we might be able to give you something over the, the summer. And, you know, hopefully we'll talk about this later. But I think it's just about when when opportunities of any, you know, like your flyer coming through the door to just kind of go for it and see what, what comes of it. Um, and so kind of worked for quite a time at a local newspaper doing proper kind of over at court, you know, frightened the pants off me in a lot of occasions. But again, we'll probably talk about this later in that sometimes just to do something that, is really scary and probably is quite intimidating and feels like something, you know, you haven't got the masses of experience or background to do. You just go for it. And it's only in doing that that you actually realise, do you know what, I, I can actually do this. So then I managed to get um, on a traineeship with kind of the Western Mail and Echo here, did my training up in Newcastle, worked in newspapers then for quite a lot of years, similar to, to you, Norman, in kind of getting into a job, actually doing, you know, working hard and doing well, kind of working as a, as a journalist and enjoying it. But I just still wanted to work in television and again, kind of came to a point where I thought, right, so I either continue working in papers, which was fantastic, 
or I need to do something a bit bolder, a bit braver and try and make, you know, something happen to see whether this kind of TV dream of a long, long time could ever work out. Um, so I really had to kind of dive in the deep end. I quit my job. I went freelance. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was quite funny because somehow or another, I heard that there was a, a living history program that was going into production that was all to do with the coal fields of the valleys. And I thought, OK, OK, my granddad was a miner. My, you know, my kind of in-laws are miner. I, 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 this is, I know a bit about this. And, and I think, again, we'll talk about this later, but it's kind of valuing something that you do have that other people don't have. And that's why we need people from a whole range of backgrounds because I genuinely did have connections and knowledges of, you know, of, of, of those kind of coal mining communities in the valleys. So I absolutely badgered um, kind of the production team to just get a runner job. And again, I had to drop right down from kind of being, you know, in quite a kind of good job at the paper to, to take in a runner job, but, but did it. Then did some other TV work, but then also kind of saw a couple of jobs advertised um, on kind of some factual programmes probably didn't have the right experience that was kind of ticking every single box on the 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 job advert but again went for it and that led to several you know many many years then of of just gaining absolutely brilliant and fantastic experiences making all kinds of factual programs from obstocks to presenter-led stuff to you know panel shows all kinds of things um and went from there to developing ideas for tv and then I've been in um, in the commissioning team and absolutely love it because it's kind of a whole new um, way of working in television. But yeah, so a really kind of convoluted path, but absolutely love what I do now and, and feel genuinely passionate about kind of getting, you know, just a, a real array of people coming into the industry to, to ultimately, which has been the thing all the way through right from the word go, is tell amazing stories about, you know, for me, it's it's the people in, in Wales, but it's, you know, wherever it is in the world, just compelling and important stories to be told, really. You made so many great points there. The one that sort of struck me particularly was knowing the value of your own experience, you know, your own life experience and connections and abilities. Do you know what? It's so interesting because I think quite often you kind of see it in black and white and there's this list of however many, you know, specific bits of knowledge, qualifications, whatever it is that you're supposed to have. And maybe if you're not from that kind of stereotypical background or the kind of traditional background, you may not have every single one of those things. That, you know, for example, I coming into television, you could have felt intimidated that, do you know what, I'm at this age and I haven't got the television experience that maybe others have had. But actually, do you know what, all those years of working on a newspaper absolutely gave me skills and abilities and the confidence and the tenacity and and the resilience and the storytelling abilities the accuracy you know factual accuracy that you need for for program making and without doubt and I could give you loads of examples even in my job you know today when I'm, I'm kind of working with fantastic producers and directors and we're in the edit and we're looking at programs all those things now I'm absolutely using those skills you know that I gained on years on, on newspapers where I was probably sitting at my desk maybe thinking oh I'd, I'd love to do that but actually I now really really highly value those years where I gained journalistic skills. There is no one path and it's in very intangible in terms of a career that it's so difficult for people to understand and see how they can how they can actually be part of that and if we could bottle some of that and one of the things I found delivering training programs specifically is, is very much being people don't know what they don't know and yet 
how can we bottle it? How can we find more Normans? And and <laughs> and how can we? Hopefully we don't. There's only one. <laughs> <laughs> but how can we find more Normans? And how how can we explain to people how their skills are transferable when actually it's really complex to mm-hmm. tell somebody that actually you've got this, this, and this? But that could be great. You'd be um, you'd be a brilliant location manager, or oh, you'd be fantastic as a production assistant because you've got those skills and you know how to deal with people. And it's how we can get people to 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 realise that ambition and understand the value in themselves when actually they think that it can be a quite a middle-class industry and how it's not achievable, it's not reachable for them and, and how do we find those people to re- readdress that balance? The lack of knowledge is is huge. Like I, I couldn't personally believe how how wrong I was, how off I, I was when I actually made my application to the foot in the door. Um, on my initial application, I, I put things like videos that I'd made and banned posters and websites and things like that that I'd done, um, many things along those lines. And what I didn't realise was that the two key skills, I think, that were there were the, the painting carpentry and on top of that, the attitude. Mm-hmm. But they were, in the interview, they were pushing more for those things than all the things that I personally found to be relevant. Yeah, I've um, got quite a similar background to you, Sean, in terms of coming from, you know, working class background, becoming a journalist and then getting into TV. And for me, it's actually taken to quite recently to realise sitting in an office with people so different from me that I have that unique skill set. Because you, you don't recognise what your own lived experience has created in ter- until you're in a situation where you can apply skills from a previous role. Exactly. And I think you say, how do how do you raise awareness of that with people? You know, how do you make people aware of what their skills mean on paper. And there's a lot of education, I guess, required there. I think in my job now, what's really interesting is um, actually it, it's kind of more vital and we're more hungry for it and aware of it than ever that, you know, in the particular job I do is is all about portraying the people of Wales but with stories that are going to be of, of huge interest and importance kind of here in Wales and way beyond but actually, you can only tell one kind of story if you've only got one kind of person making the television. So we can only tell the, and tell authentically the stories of all the people of Wales if we've got a good mixture of people from different backgrounds making those programmes. So it's their lived experience and their knowledge is, is vitally important. You know, we, we've got this, there's a fantastic scheme um, we're involved with, It's My Shout, which I know um, does fantastic. It's very much kind of a grassroots level scheme, giving people opportunities in kind of, um, uh, drama and documentary kind of short form and people that are coming in at, at an entry level and just a kind of practical example from that there was an absolutely amazing guy who um, got involved in an It's My Shout film um, a, a kind of an, an on screen he was not from a media background at all and actually because he is you know, because of kind of his experience and where he's come from, actually he's opening up completely new worlds, new possibilities, new stories, new communities, new ways of telling stories. And that has got such high value. And do you know what? Through, you know, be again, to know him through It's My Shout. Well, now we've absolutely championed him, introduced him to independent production companies. He's now, you know, working with a kind of current affairs team, doing investigative stuff for them. He's done stuff on screen as well as off. But I tell you what, each time that I meet that guy, um, he is smiling, wants to talk about things, has got ideas, you know, and I think if you are a person that, that 
you know, feels like you've got ideas and there's stories you want to tell. Actually, you may be the only person that that can tell those stories. You've got to value that. And, you know, that guy is is doing really good things now. But I think that scheme was brilliant in finding him. And then he's brought, you know, so it's kind of a two-way street, right, that he's um, brought so much to that scheme. But also the scheme has given him that, those first couple of steps that have now opened up a whole world to him but also we hugely value you know him as a person that we want to be working with and linking in with because actually it's really important that you know we work we're working with all kinds of people from you know across the nation and beyond really so exactly yeah that's a great point Faye in terms of other initiatives that exist within Wales is there anything you can touch on that's like it's my show or any or foot in the door yeah, absolutely. So um, let me have a little look. So I suppose more practically on the ground, there's a number of programmes. We've talked and touched on Foot in the Door. Um, we've discussed that the marked difference is the fact that it attracts and targets people from socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, we Skill Cymru uh, provides level three and four apprenticeships in creative and digital media with the BBC uh, and S- real SFX to name a few and Folio is a new programme launched by Arts Council Wales, Film Cymru Wales, Arts Council and BBC Wales. Um, it's a new programme that will offer training, mentoring and BBC commissioning opportunities to emerging creatives in Wales without professional experience in film and TV. And I think that's really, really important uh, to try and um, to try and attract those people. Uh, a couple of a couple of things that I think I always use as a point of reference because it's good to have a leave behind for people that are useful. So Screen Skills website has a wealth of information around job profiles. Uh, nobody ever seems to use it in Wales when I speak to groups and new entrants, and it will tell you what predictable routes might be, what those jobs involve, who they report to, where that sits in the structure of a production, for example. Um, And they also offer bursaries across the UK as well. Um, And two really great and helpful toolkits for industry and productions that stand out for me are the Raising Films Checklist uh, for productions to look at how you can ensure that you're treating women fairly, carers fairly, parents fairly in the industry Uh, and also the Jerwood Arts Toolkit which is looking at socioeconomic diversity and inclusion. I think both of those are actually really useful for productions to look at as uh, best practice examples. Great, we'll pop all of those links into the show notes on the podcast. I was, I was just going to quickly say, just briefly, I think um, the, the, the truth is there is masses going on and actually if you yeah. want, you know, as, as Norman and I were talking about, you know, you might be at that stage of your life or career where you're kind of thinking, even just the media, TV, whatever it is, film sounds fantastic. There is masses going on and I think now it is so much easier with the web that you can go and find these things. You know, I did a quick look at some of the things BBC Wales is involved in. You know, more than 25 apprenticeships a year, the BBC Writers Room Wales, there's an uprising um, charity involved in, obviously It's My Shout. I look after a new documentary director's initiative, um, Folio, as, as, as Faye's mentioned. You know, there's, there's kind of journalism programmes, stacks of stuff going on. So it's almost like seeking that out. And then just following up on what we said earlier, the really important thing I'd just like to say is just go for it. Or actually, you know, when we launched Second Round of New Directors recently, the thing that concerned me was people that were saying, oh, I, I w- would go for it, but I haven't got X, Y, Z. Well, actually, do you know what? Drop an email or call the person that's running the scheme. And what I loved was a couple of people gave me a call and said, look, I'm, I'm probably not going to go for it because X. And what it meant was we could have a conversation and I could either say, actually, do you know what? Go for it because I think you have got a lot of talents that could work brilliantly well. Or 
great that you've called because yeah you, do you know what you're probably not at the level for that one but however it's my shout would be brilliant for you you know but I think just the fact that they um you know just inquired or, or you know be be bold and be a bit braver drop that email give that call because actually you probably just get someone pretty normal on the end of the line like me that that you know we are so passionate about people getting into the industry and want to flourish new talent it's worth that email or that call because do you know what someone that called me the other day yeah they might not get on the new directors but actually it might have been like the flyer that Norman got me saying have a look at it's my shout they get an it's my shout film and it kind of blossoms from there so just to kind of get your hat in the ring rather than kind of closing yourself out of opportunities before you've you know, seeing what could be a possibility, I think. Well, you heard it here first then. Yeah. Be bold and pick be up the phone. It might be Sean yeah, yeah. at the other end. Yeah, I'll be friendly, honestly. <laughs> Norman, in terms of anyone listening that wants to get into film and TV, what would what would you say? What's your thoughts on that and your recommendations to people? Um, as I was describing earlier on, I, I think it can be, can be quite overwhelming. Um, but I think look out there for the facts rather than making up scenarios in your head so much. If you don't know the information, search for it instead of finding the answer in your own brain because that will almost definitely give you the wrong answers and make things, well, difficult to find. Um, what I found, there are many different barriers. We've discussed some of the barriers to entry here, um, but there are so many more. Like, um, following on briefly from what I was saying earlier on and given my background, um, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in TV and film, wanted to make props, make sets, work in this wonderful industry um, that I'd been sucked into. Um, but all that was missing for me then was the relevant qualifications, the money, the experience, the contracts, driving license, car, limited local transport, to name a few. There's so many barriers, but don't let those put you off. There's help for many of those. There's a way around things. Just take things step by step. And if it's something you truly want to do, go for it. I think it's a really good point you make, Norman, around the barriers, and we've talked a little bit about them. It's such a rewarding industry to be in in so many ways, um, except we wouldn't all be in it, would we? But it's in so many ways, um, making content is, you know, thoroughly enjoyable uh, thing to do. But there are a lot of individuals who do find themselves at the intersection um, of those barriers. So when we look at, I think, when we look at diversity specifically, we say, oh, we need some more BAME talent. We need some more women who are directors. And that's great. But actually, the reality is that lots of those people are at the intersection of those things. Um, and the BFI Cameo report um, exemplifies that in great detail and very clearly I think and and again we can put that in the notes um but even just to use myself as an example I'm at the intersection so if I wanted to get a career in the creative industries right now um I think the fact that I have to have childcare for 11 hours to be on set is very challenging um, the fact that I'm a woman who are underrepresented in the industry is very challenging um and the fact that I'm over 40 um, is is more challenging as many of these roles are seen for young people, you know, as being something that young people get. So I think recognising that actually people don't just face one barrier, they might face a number of barriers. Um, and then we say, actually, women are underrepresented in an industry. And then we wonder why. <laughs> so I think it's looking at addressing some of those challenges. And I mentioned Raising Films before, but they're an amazing organisation. And they have some brilliant supports, brilliant toolkits. And they, you know, are fighting what I would consider to be a good fight in terms of looking at how we can address some of these things. So do we do split work? 
for, for women. Do we do we look at mobile crashes, which exist in the UK? They exist much more in America. So you bring a mobile crash onto set and that allows a lot more women so you can bring more women into your workforce. So I'm talking specifically about production set, but really, really meeting some of these challenges head on they're all part of socioeconomic uh, access and how we can how we can increase it. And I think it's really important that we're just honest about it. Um, you know, these things exist. These are why people are, are unrepresented. But let's let's try and ch- t- look at the challenges. Um, you know, Norman it, it is now learning to drive, which is a game changer for you. It's a long time coming. It, it wasn't needed while I was living in central Cardiff and working in central Cardiff. But now I live between two mountains and I need to get us to set at four o'clock in the morning in the middle of nowhere with Welsh public transport has made things a lot more difficult so that's that's essential for me and it's something that's being done at the start of this year and I think practically from a very um uh, practical perspective from foot in the door that's exactly what it does we take people to set so they're able to put on their CV that they've had that experience barrier knocked down taking them to set barrier knocked down they make contacts barrier knocked down um and then we work with people over a number of years because there is an argument that diversity initiatives are not necessarily effective D- diversity initiatives don't work right um and i think that is um can be a misleading statement quite simply because diversity initiatives don't work unless you're looking at a long-term sustainable view mm-hmm. and unless you're looking at maybe some of the challenges around that um and the issues of of what that should look you know what that should look like uh, more broadly so I think if you're just looking at it from a numbers point of view then actually you know I don't think anything's ever going to change so we've got to look at it from a systemic point of view as well and go okay well you know these things go hand in hand and maybe more qualitative ways to to measure that as well yeah absolutely I, I think Faye's absolutely right that the, the really important thing is about initiatives not kind of being there for initiative's sake and also them not being a, a flash in the pan you know so so, um, again, exactly those, you know, barriers. I'm a working parent myself. Several of my colleagues are, you know, we, we. I think when you do call out those barriers that are there and then you have to actually try and address them in different ways. Again, another example with the new doc directors, you know, we did have working parents that were applying that had those barriers of childcare and how do you make, you know, um, long filming hours and things like that work. And actually we've made a very deliberate kind of um, proactive stance with that scheme to make it flexible enough to make it work for people that were you know um that that were involved and another guy who came on it you know didn't have that long term years and years of television background but we took a chance on him and put the right support around him put him with the lead in documentary company that would support him and with that guy talking about things not being a flash in the pan he made a fantastic half an hour documentary for us he's now making a three-part series for us because we absolutely said you know what you can't just have this initiative spring up we're all you know happy that this lovely film's been made now we're moving on to our next thing actually we want those directors to now be moving on to their next projects and the next projects after that to give that sustainable you know economy going forward and it worked really well and we're really excited now for the next thing and for the next things that will happen with those you know but they are they are real barriers and they do make a difference and it's going to take you know work and cooperation and understanding from everybody involved to to find really, you know, good ways to enable people to take up opportunity and have kind of long-term careers as well. I think I would argue that that's a game-changer. That type of activity coming from industry is a game-changer. We're flipping it around so it's not 
the person who has to access industry we have to look at our own practice and go how can we make ourselves more accessible right so and do that in a really practical way Norman had a Normal had a leaflet because we had an outreach strategy that meant that we went into communities uh, in the valleys very specifically and we targeted people through lots of different ways. We went out and talked to people because nobody that we actually got on the course, I would say, apart from a couple, would ever have considered coming to contact us or be part of this. But because we were working with housing associations, community organisations and job centres who were trusted and who were there with foot in the door, um, you know, and Film Cymru Wales do that very well with all of their programmes, I think, in terms of looking at how can we go and reach people rather than how can they come and reach us? Because if we're just putting adverts out to, you know, a Twitter account, for example, and Twitter accounts are great, but you, you're, you know, you're talking to, to yourself, right? You're yeah. talking to other people who are like you. So that's not where that where these people hang out. And so it's about looking at our practice and how we can change it from start to finish. Without the leaflet that and the promotional leaflet that you guys sent out, the foot in the door one, um, I don't think I'd have I'd have applied for that opportunity or that position. And based. It was based around the wording, it was very cleverly worded, and if I saw a position like that, I'd have instantly assumed that someone with a relevant relevant degree or um, with more relevant experience would have would have got on ahead of me. Um, whereas with what I actually know now, if my CV and their CV were next to each other, I'd have probably been the stronger candidate, you know? Yeah, it's so. a really important piece of paper in your life then. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hugely important. Yeah. And it's, well, a, a stroke of luck, which unfortunately is the story that most people in this industry have to get in. Either my friend asked me if I wanted to do a day or I got lucky and met this person. That's 99.9%. I think that's statistically correct. <laughs> then do you know on um, the flip side, if, the, if people are listening, if people have had the kind of, you know, they look in already and they've had the initiative to listen to this podcast, you're obviously interested. So I think, yes, absolutely. You know, it's a challenge for the whole sector, for, you know, broadcasters, for channel, organisations, everybody to take on board. But also if you're the person kind of sitting at home thinking, I would love to do that. Or you've, do you know what I mean? It's then about seizing the, the opportunities and looking what's out there and, you know, going for it with things like it's my shout folio which is looking at things like they're going to help with childcare and transport co- you know so if you go looking for those things i think you know today there are some really cool things happening that if you find them and you're bold and brave enough to go for it actually some of those obstacles that are in that would have been there historically there's going to be ways of, of getting around those as well you know to be positive about how things have changed now i think it's really important and i think the next the next step is how we sustain that so a lifter set's great, but how do we sustain that over a period of time and how do we get there? And I don't think there's any really clear answer for that, but actually the fact that we're having this discussion is really important to make sure that we're going, actually, you know, things do need to change. This is this is what we need to do. And these are the reasons why it's, you know, it's complicated. So, but having the discussions and raising the awareness, I think, is, is just as important. And I would really love to keep chatting all mm-hmm. afternoon, but I'm afraid we're out of time. Thanks to Faye, Norman and Sean for chatting to us today. Uh, it's been a really interesting discussion and one that we're keen to continue. So like we said, we'll put all of the links into the show notes. And if you've got any thoughts or feedback, um, please do tag Creative Cardiff on any social media channels. As always, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed, please rate and review. It'll help other creatives to find us. Get a Proper Job is made by Creative Cardiff with and for the creative community. 
I got a proper job.